0: Hello dear listeners, welcome back to Driving to Pretoria with me, your host Nick Rubinovitz. My guest on this episode lives with a German. He works with a German, he sleeps with a German, he's made half a German. He was even in lockdown with a German where he learned to breathe like a German. If you don't know what that is, you'll find out later in this episode. On January the 14th, 2001, the New York Times ran a front page headline that read Only Joking But Healing South Africa 2. The piece pictured a fresh-faced South African comedian who has over the last 20 years established himself as one of the old gangsters of the South African comedy scene. Aside from being very funny, he is a genuine and lovely man. That's what you will discover if you listen to this episode. Just don't invite him to MC your wedding because he won't. He is a former courier, counterfeiter and... Classic car collector, one of the cars we discussed that he used to park outside Cape Town's armchair theater in the early 2000s was actually a 1970 Chevy Camaro was actually a second-generation Camaro that had a unibody structure. I remember actually looking at it and thinking, wow, this car utilizes a front subframe, coil spring, front suspension, and rear leaf springs, not to mention the rear stabilizer bar as well. Also, I noticed that the base engine was modified to a 250 cubic inch 4.1 liter 6 rated at 155 horsepower. Guys, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. This is car stuff and it's impressive to car people like could. But to me, it just reads like... Well, guys, the 1969 model was upgraded to include a photon-fired snorkel and they buffed the Hanscock inlet with the frank
1: <laughs>
0: He is the founder of what was once rated one of the top 10 comedy clubs in the world. He is Too Damn Daedalic. Please enjoy this conversation with... My friend, comedian, actor, and German wrangler. One of Cape Town's favorite sons, Kurt Skunrad.
1: I've
0: always wanted to have a Bucky, though.
1: What is it with you, Oaks? I think it's just the general white-o thing, right? You is just it? have to have a Bucky. I've never had a Bucky, though. No, as a colored man, I try and stay away from the back of the Bucky. That's generally my vibe. You know? yeah.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with... I think uh, OG is a good term, one of the old gangsters of South African comedy, Cape Town comedy. Kurt Skunrad, I met you almost exactly 20 years. It's going to be 20 years. Indeed. In, I think, September when I did my very first open mic gig. Well, it was around about that time. Yeah. At the Cape Comedy Collective. It's been... 20 years since then. You started out probably a few years
1: before that, though. Um, no, it was probably a couple of months before you did. What? Yeah. In 2001? 2000. 2000? No, no, yeah.
0: End of 2000. Yeah. Wow, because to me it seemed when I started, you were already headlining that that club.
1: Fortunately and enough. And in
0: my mind, you'd been doing it for 10 years already.
1: No, bro. No. I know you had it. No. But you... Well, were, the irony was is that I was doing it for 10 years already. But there, wasn't a, there was nothing formal about it. This is your phone, bro. Who's, who's, who's is <laughs> it's that? It's your phone. It's no, it's <laughs> coming from the computer. Oh, it's your email. You just got an email, bro. Apologies. Apologies. Um, how that had come about was I was at the Creative School of Speech and Drama down in Claremont for a long time um, doing an ATCL course, which is a teacher's diploma after I finished high school. And, um, an AT what? An ATCL, ATCL teacher's diploma in for drama Generally, did you want to teach drama? Well, I wanted to do something in drama. Um, and, I just, and where did that come from? Where, what sparked that? Man, I was always the loud lighty in the back of the class. And then I was the MC at the variety show. And then it was just a natural progression of things. Yes. And then um, this opportunity popped around to do this, this uh, teacher's diploma in drama. And I took it on. It was great. I had a lot, I had a lot of fun at it. I had my first kind of formal approach to the, to the thing, you know, just being a little before. And it was lekker. I loved it. And then um, somewhere along the line, there was a, an ad in the Plainsman, which is the community newspaper in Mitchell's Plains. Are you fu- Do you think you're funny? Uh, Smirnoff Comedy Festival is looking for new faces. And this is, this is 2000? This is 2000. Yeah. This is um, the end of 2000. And about this is Sam Hendrickson and Eddie Kassar. Indeed. Bruce, I went for, my, for, for this audition. 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 Who was there? Bruce, there was a whole... You know the, the, the dungeons of the Baxter? Right? Yes. There's these long... This corridor with a lot of rooms running Yeah, rehearsal of.
0: rooms. Exactly.
1: Right. Re- exactly. So, in one of the rehearsals. So, you walk
0: the, down there. Have you ever been in the backstay at this point?
1: Uh, never before. Right. Shit, I've barely been to the city before, my bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? As I've, I've literally, I went to school in Mitchell's Plain, I went to the doctor in Mitchell's Plain, I played soccer in Mitchell's Plain, and I never really left Mitchell's Plain quite a bit. Yeah. Before. I mean, at that stage, I haven't left Mitchell's Plain at all, really. And then, What were um, you thinking on the way to that audition? Like walking through those, wh- that building? What were you thinking? In this my place? girlfriend at the time twisted my arm into trying out and she went, just go and try it. I said, I will prove you wrong, okay? I'll show you that they won't choose me. Yes. <laughs> and then I went, bro. Took a taxi, old school Mitchell's Plain style, bro. Got out in front of the Baxter, went up to the jaw there, stood in a queue with about 50 other Oaks. Sure. Met a guy there called Alan Kamiti in the queue. In the queue? In the queue, bro. Same day, Alan Committee did a fall in front of the judges there. And it was part of his act and they were like, Fuck, bro, you're right <laughs> there. You know, he's, he does that yeah. old slapsticky type of thing as well. So, um, there was an older cat that was in front of me, an older English guy. He must have been in his early sixties at that stage. I was like 22 or something. Anyway. And um, I went, I tried out my five minutes. I prepared Sam Hendrikse uh, and uh, Eddie Cazar just sat there and looked at me like this. Uh-huh. And I went, okay, all right, we'll, we'll call you. And then I walked out like, <laughs> and that was so embarrassing. Can you remember what might have been in those five minutes? Oh, yes, definitely. I can tell you what was in that yeah, five minutes. Because okay. i got to do that five minutes over and over and yeah. over again for yeah. the next six weeks. It was about from being from Mitchell's plane. And, um, that APSA gag. So I stabbed him.
0: That was from there? That
1: was from there, yeah. I wrote that like, two days before. And it was just based on watching that the uh, news. They
0: put me back on my feet.
1: That's the That's one. What? That's, the gag. That's the gag. I like bro. to think, I'm so... putting me back on my feet because they repossessed my car. Yeah. Wow. And then it's like, uh, can you prove it? From Mitchell's plan, can you prove it? Yeah. So I and stabbed him. <laughs> that was the gag, bro. And, you could have uh, financed the house and observatory on that
0: joke alone. My bro, and I think I did. <laughs> i did i did yeah i actually came across an article that was from the new york times dated january 2001 Ooh. <clears throat> so this is 20 years ago and it Man. says uh 22 and black that's an interesting description then there's riyad musa 23 year old muslim of indian descent who describes being taken for a terrorist whenever he wears his fez to mcdonald's yep. and then we have uh Kurt Gunrat, Mr. Kurt Gunrat. Um and it's described as 27 years old uh who grew up and this is clearly from the New York Times because it says the mixed race townships. Yes. And runs a courier service when he's not on stage. True story then. What was that?
1: What was What well, were you courier courier? How um, r- 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 Yes, the thing is um as an imp- after I finished the ATCL course um I was is unemployed. this
0: before auditioning for Smoto? Yes, it's before.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I was unemployed for an extended period of time. I think it was about two, three years or so, give and take a bit. I had a t-shirt business before then. I used to print t-shirts in my mom's garage. And um, what's the term we're looking for here? Copyright infringement, I think it was, right. that I was charged with. Yeah. Who you? Co- whose t-shirts were you? Nike, Reebok, it. <laughs> and uh, I thought to myself, myself, I've got a community full of Oaks my age who are doing fuck all at the moment. So I just, I used to print the goth t-shirts for the, for the, 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 um... The kids at the under, what was that place in time? No, it was just, Um, it it was literally the, um, the flea markets. I used to do the cure t-shirts and the flea market square, that kind of thing. But I'd only trade like five or six of them at a time. And it was like, like but I was like, hey guy, we need to make more money here, you know? And then a friend of mine gave me a handful of labels. In, the like inside labels of like, he was working at the Adidas place at the time. And I was like, mm, interesting. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot simpler to print. And then I started printing them. And then I, uh, I got a cell phone. I saved up for a long time. Back then a cell phone was like that big thing that you flopped up with the brick, yeah. brute was like, and then, um, I started putting ads in community newspapers all over the country, like factory overruns, send us your address, we'll send you some samples. And then I sent out a couple of samples to PE in East London and like a t-shirt and a cap and whatever. Before long, I was going from printing 10 t-shirts a week to like a thousand. So I was making real money. Huh. And then um, the representative from, I think it was a Nike guy, was on a flea market in PE and he spotted his t-shirt there. Well, He recognized that they never, ever produced a t-shirt in that color. (laughs) And uh, very quickly, um, I just took the SIM card out of the phone and was like, Hey, I need another job now. (laughs) And then I was unemployed for a little bit. And then I, I took a really cut job at the airport, packing trucks, permanent night shift proof. Five in the evening to five in the morning. And within a few months, um, there was a sales job became available at another courier company across the road, a company called XPS. And I went to an interview and I got that job as a junior salesperson. And then I went from, I, mean, I think I quadrupled my salary in like two weeks. It was weird. Got a company car. And then before long, that company launched a prepaid product, which is like a document that you could send to Joburg with a label attached to it. And I told the Lani at the time, listen bro, how about I give you my resignation and I sell this product only. And then he went, that's a good idea. I told him, listen, you don't have to pay me a profit fund. fine, you don't have to pay my medical aid, nothing. I just do it on my own. All I need is a phone line and I sell your shit, My bro, that was probably the best decision I made in years, bro. I made a cuck of money there. So much so that I disappeared to Europe at some stage on a backpacking trip for like three months, bro. No one realized I was gone, it was great.
0: You'd hardly left Mitchell's plan and there you were
1: suddenly in... Uh, Just uh, thrown into the deep end and then all of a sudden this opportunity popped up with um, the of Comedy Festival at the time. Okay, so you, so you get a call. Yeah. Who calls you back? Uh, Mr. Eddie Cazalf, Mr. Eddie Cazard. Mr. Eddie Cazalf, He goes, Yeah, we'd love to have you on the show. I'm confused. Really? He goes, yeah, come um, and I was there. That show lasted for something like six weeks. It was a long run. And it was in the, 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 upstairs. the studio upstairs. It was the New Faces section. Yeah. Koki Falco was the host there. He'd been doing it for a while already. And um, I had, uh, I remember the first night was the cuckest stand-up night. in. My it was just horrible. There was like three oaks in the audience which two was like critics sent to script the show. Yeah. And I fell on my ass, bro. They did so badly. And then um, the MC at the time, Koki came up to me and went, bro, take your time. You don't have to tell them that you're a colored dog. They can see that. Just tune in straight up. Lose all the words you don't need. I went home, praised it, got rid of all of the shit I didn't need. And the following night was a full house. I'm pretty sure they comped it. And I was probably the gig that set me up for the rest of my life, really. Because mm. I just wanted that feeling again. lacquer, it, it just nailed it. It was like, oh The dopamine hit. And exactly. Boom. And then a week later, there's two English oaks barking in the audience. One with like a blonde dreadlock cat and his wife. Mark and Sam. Mark Sampson and Sam Pierce. After the show, they came up to me gave me a business card I said, listen, we're doing a thing at the armchair theatre just down the way here. Come and play with us. And uh, that was about September of 2000. And then it was just, the rest is history. Man. And that was the
0: beginnings of the Cape Comedy Collective. That Comedy was, it was just for the people.
1: By, by the, the people. people. Yes. Very communist vibe. <laughs> Can I
0: start the clap over here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so by the time
0: I get there, that's a year later. So you'd, you'd already been there. You'd been doing that for like a year.
1: I've been doing it for a year and I went very quickly into that headline space because there was no there. one else to fill it.
0: Yeah, and it was like, holy shit. Like, because I I don't think I'd ever been to watch stand standup yeah. um, before my first gig. I, I never set foot in a comedy club. There wasn't many to step into. There weren't. No. Um, I've seen something in Grahamstown when I was working for Theatre for Africa, I went to watch, I didn't know it was stand-up. And the guy was roasting my boss, Nick Hanberger, <laughs> who wasn't there, but he was, you know, very successful at the festival and this guy was ripping into him and I was like, what, I- what is this? Why is he being mean to my boss?
1: <laughs> you got your first roast, bro. <laughs> but you were
0: already, I mean, I mean, sort of iconic for me at that time is like the memory of you doing that, uh, the impression of that. Uh, Formula One
1: Yes Guy Yeah And that
0: was a classic bit That you
1: closed All my shows with At the time For a man. long time Yes Who was the commentator's Name again? Um, well it was about Michael Schumacher At the time Yeah And um, I just Did a third person view Of what A pit crew Would look like If they had a coloured pit crew <laughs> That's right Yeah And there would be A asking Michael Michael give us a cigarette Man <laughs>
0: And you that had a bit of
1: a role with that character, <laughs> on. I'll never forget. That's right. That when days are dark, friends are few That's with a sticker it. at the back. And then when friends are dark, days are few, we just swap it around really. That was the AWB. It, exactly. I was in Boxburg one night and I checked yeah. that sticker out, bro. And that just, at the time, South Africa was just changing. We were just starting to accept other oaks and I was, all of us were curious about yeah. just everything. And it was just the perfect timing for that particular gag.
0: Yeah. I mean what a time that was I mean for, for comedy just to, to be there almost at the I mean like stepping in there I didn't know what I was stepping into but but no. it was the beginnings of this this mm. industry we have now
1: man it, if I knew what I was setting up for then I might have done it differently and cocked it up you know because it would have been too much pressure but we were just having so much fun And then just before then I got back from Europe and um, I couldn't go back to Mitchell's Plain anymore. bro. I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't live with my parents anymore. Mm. Um, Nothing wrong with him. I just had tasted independence in a way that, that, that was, it just wasn't possible to go back and do that anymore. And then at the same time, a young magician was starting with us called Stuart Taylor and he couldn't go back to, to grassy park anymore either. And there was a place that opened up just down the road from us there down the road from the armchair. And I went, hey, Bruno, let's bring this place together. We're doing, like, club gigs three, four nights a week. We're earning enough bucks to do it. And let's be honest, the petal to Mitchell's place is just a month's bike. And he went, That's a good idea. And then we just moved in together. We That, that lasted for about five years, bro. Um, I
0: didn't realise at the time, but the other day I was at the College of Magic looking at old uh, photographs of yeah. um, magicians and Stuart being one of them. And he, was he quite a nerd back then? Was he Man,
1: quite a nerdy guy? I hope he's not listening to no, this. He's really like a dick nerd, bro. Yeah? He was the dick nerd, the quiet, overused oh, magic as a vehicle. But then if you look at the comedy industry today, how many of them started off as magicians? Conde mm-hmm. Klach, Rear Musa, uh, Stuart Taylor. Back then there was um, Jason Cope, Jason Cope, Jason that Cope.
0: guy, and of course that guy was he was left field and hilarious. Man and then
1: gave it up at some point. Man, he, he he's in the, in the movie business. He right went into now. the movies. Yeah, exactly. District um, Nine. The, exactly. He he wanted to shoot movies from back then already. So it was it was clear his trajectory, and and Cachisola made it perfectly clear as well what he wanted to do well, long term. And he wanted to make all of them. They were, they were movie makers, you know. Do you remember Jason Cope's gag about the, the umbrella at the beach? No. He says, there must be one more of a big cocktail under there somewhere. And his whole a- attack on comedy was just surreal. He had this like, yeah, left field kind of approach to it.
0: Um, take. And, then, um, and then also what became quite iconic was this TV show that you did with... I think Stuart. There was Dave Levinson going nowhere slowly. Yeah. Which then when did the car thing, the obsession with classic cars? That
1: was always there. Was that always there. That was who was that from? Was my it? dad. My dad. Yeah. My granddad. Um, there was there was always a a old car in our space, but not like in the grass growing through it uh, on, yes. on the, the front lawn kind of vibe. Not like that at all. My my granddad was a mechanic, so he. Fixed all the old cars and stuff, and I kind of got reeled into it quite early on. I remember this big white old fifties car and this big steering wheel in front of me, and he'd go, "I okay, pumped the brakes, my boy, with the brakes, then he says, Okay, hold it down,' and they bleed the brakes like that. And I'd be Saturday mornings, I'd be helping my granddad bleed the brakes, and my dad would be there, and they'd be fixing cars and talking about it, and there was always a car chat. Uh-huh. And I was very interested from day one, man, and. Uh, the first, and of course, there were the big TV shows at the time. It was Starsky and Hutch's Gran Torino Ford. There was um, Dukes of Hazzard's Dodge Charger. And there was Smokey and the Bandit and the Trans Am. Were you An- into the Dukes of Hazzard? Oh, yes, Because I
0: went through a Dukes of Hazzard phase where I refused to get out the door of any car. I had to come out at the window.
1: window. <laughs> those ux welded those doors closed. They did. They did. Everything through the window. And those iconic cars... In my generation of people, once we could afford something like that. Because uh,
0: suddenly, and might have been the time I arrived on the scene, but like r- around about then, it suddenly became, the comedy club took off, uh, the armchair took off, and, and then parked outside pretty much every gig
1: was, and I don't know who they belonged to at the well, time, I can but tell you exactly what they sexy, were and but there was they a were, whole string of muscle yeah. cars outside. Uh, Koki Falco had a Grand Torino. Colin Moss had a Ford Mustang. I had a Chevy Camaro, um, and there were a couple of others. Paul Snodgrass had an MG, <laughs> it, was just, it, was just, it was the odd guy. Um, but there was, a, there was a big thing with... It was the Comedy All-Stars. This, this is that's what the right. group became known as. Uh, and it
0: was like those guys you mentioned and a few other people. And I desperately wanted to be a Comedy All-Star. I really remember that very well, thinking, what do I have to do? short of buying a classic car that i can't afford because i just had a fucked up old red beetle
1: (laughs) that i was too embarrassed to park anywhere near that street you know the irony is i own a beetle now (laughs) a 1949 split did you have to sell
0: cars Mm
1: -hmm. man because those cars must have become very valuable they did they did um i had a 57 chevy ballet that was the black one you remember that one yeah and a yellow camaro and i sold both of them to start the comedy club Got about a million land for the two of them. That was almost ten years ago.
0: Yeah,
1: but eight hundred and fifty, give and take a bit. Let's talk about the comedy club because in two thousand
0: and five, I think it was you started it as a sort of pop up. Let's just do a pop yeah. up comedy club. It what was, was
1: that? It was called Your Master Comedy Club. Your master then. Comedy Club. Yeah, and it was at the Albert Hall. I remember. The, it's did it start there? It was started on no. some other festival? It's, it started off at um, what's his name uh, Radio jock uh clarence ford's place called mannenberg's in the clock tower in the waterfront I like oh god
0: it. i remember doing you playing there. there yeah I, you, played you, there. I
1: booked you for that i got team. there
0: and there were, you were still it was it was packed <laughs> it was sold out yes yeah. and there were about 140 people in there and all of them were american
1: yep and that's, i did not know not that, that right. until
0: 10 minutes before the gig
1: surprise <laughs> You were still doing one man, one goat. I think. Oh yeah, my oh yeah, I, I think I died badly. I think. I think. Don't worry. We all did it that once. That that, that particular gig. Yeah. I think we all did. I was the host on that. In particular fact, night. that's.
0: I think where I met Mel Miller. He was. Yes, he was on yeah. one
1: night. I. I. We got him down from Joe Book for that. Um, what was great about it was that um, it was one of those things where it started to get pace because. The Cape Town comedy, so the, the Cape comedy collective, was defunct at the stage and it wasn't, it didn't exist anymore, and it left a big yes. cavernous vacuum there that we needed and, to uh, fall. We
0: didn't really, the younger guys didn't <coughs> really know what had transpired, <coughs> but I remember being called to a meeting. There was a meeting yes. with all the comics, yeah. and I have this very clear memory. All, all anything I can remember for that meeting is Stuart Taylor, who was sat in a corner. Uh, he looked crumpled up. Oh, I remember that. In a corner.
1: And uh, and deeply miserable. Bro, it was at the old Bijou. Yes. We had just gotten back from Opikopi, And had the kakas times of our lives over there, bro. And we just found out that um, Sam and Mark had... They've gotten their permanent residency in South Africa and they were no longer going to do the Cape Comedy Collective. Oh, I see. It was literally the, 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 the swan song for the Cape Comedy Collective at the time. I mean, they had their, their priorities and they that changed considerably up to that point. They went, okay, that's the, we, don't, we don't want to do this anymore. And um, that was where the Comedy All-Stars was born by default almost in that we took over the Sunday night armchair thing. Right. And Koki um, Falco, Stu, Colin and myself had taken it on. Um, that also drifted off at some stage. And that's why I started Your Master Comedy Club. And I'd, it was actually called Your Master Comedy Showcase at the time. And it was the Cape Town Festival that approached me to produce a show. And it only lasted for about four weeks. And then we took it to the Albert Hall.
0: And then it went to the River Club. Indeed. And that was, that was still, I think, one of the best comedy spaces Man. I've ever performed. It was like electric, electric. You, you, you dropped something there and it would explode.
1: What it was is we were very lucky in that we, we, we really knew what we were doing at this stage. We were doing it for a while then. I knew how to set up the room, where to set it up, how to set it up, and particularly how to get the advertising out. And uh, Facebook had just started off at the time. We were... We had gotten a really good bunch of comics together, present company included, and we could put together a show that was just killer, man. And um, the River Club at the time went, are you sure you can put 200 people in here? But at some stage, we had like 600 people and there were screens outside. We were still packing them in. They couldn't see the comedians, but they were seeing it yeah, on screen, but we were just going, bro. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and eventually, I tuned them. Listen, give me a, that was Thursday night's. I said, give me a Friday and a Saturday night because we can back this place out. And they were like, nah, you've, we've got our regulars to come here on a Friday and a Saturday. It's like, you're talking about the three oaks at the bar. We can comp those oaks. It's fine. Nah, well, actually, i fuck it, bro. Eventually, um, I went looking for Is Tracy Glass's mother running the real club? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I ended up with this <laughs> voice, bro. So eventually, I walked past the pump house in the waterfront. I just walked past and I went, wow. Club, a reverse over there and looked inside. They had all the old parking meters in there that were not working oh. anymore. But I went, wow, what a killer room this is. This would be the killer comedy club. Yeah. And then I approached the waterfront about getting a lease. And at the time it was owned by that Dubai group. Yeah. And then one guy goes, do? You do, going to have bar. You going to have bar. I said, yeah, we're going to have bars. No, no bar. <laughs> done bro. that was it and for about two or three years after that um i just i could never even get an, an an appointment with him really and then growth point had taken over the waterfront at that stage and i heard through clarence ford who ran that um man manhattan's place and then he said go and speak to him and then i approached him after a lot of chatting and a lot of dreaming and they eventually went, okay, you've got the lease, bro. And uh, that started the Cape Town Comedy Club, and we renovated that place. We put... I spent a fortune on getting that place up and running. I sold two of my most precious me, belongings. To walk, children, you, literally. Um, my missus put in a lot of money and a lot of time, and she had bonded mm-hmm. her house at the time so that we could get it up and running. And um, And then we started the comedy club, and that did exceptionally well for a while. Um, at some stage it was rated one of the top 10 comedy clubs in the world. I don't know if you remember that. I do. And we were very proud of that. And then, slowly but surely, shit started to happen. Um, small things, small things. 1% increase in VAT. You'd be surprised what they can do to a small to medium-sized business. Then there was the water shortages. Now, who's going to come and visit a city when you can't have a shower, bro? Mm. So we saw usually there'd be about 25 to 30% of the room was not South African. And we started to see a sharp decline in that. And that affected the profit margin.
0: Yeah. The
1: biggest thing... Little did we know that that was just... um, The 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 pretext. They were just preparing it. (laughs) Exactly. Because then the load shedding really was just something that kicked me in the eyes. eh? Um, Yeah. I mean, we've got it. We had about eight good nights a month where we were earning decent money. That was Friday, Saturdays across the month. Man, then they have load shedding from 8 to 10. And our show starts at 8.30. Mm-hmm. I lose a couple of those a month. And all of a sudden, bro, I can't pay the rent. And um, then COVID hit. All of a sudden, um, just taking up the space and opening the doors was illegal. You know? And I mean, we haven't officially pulled the plug on the, on, the, on the comedy club yet. There's still some people that are interested in getting it up and running. So it hasn't completely shut down yet. But um, I'm not very really positive. I don't think the business model works the same way anymore. It's not easy to put 200 people in a room anymore.
0: It's not. It's not. Um, and there's kind of like a reimagining, I think, that's taking place yeah. in terms of the whole format of everything. And it's,
1: have you performed much live in the last while? Man, I've done a lot of online stuff for the corporate stuff, you know, Um to with with uh, with mixed results, I must be honest. Um, some of it was really nice; I enjoyed it, and some of it was like really shit, you know. Yeah, because I didn't know if the if the comedy was landing at all. You know, I, I didn't know if it was working or not. And then I figured out a way around it. I went, okay, guys, just keep your cameras on so I can see your reactions, and maybe put your microphones at off so I can hear some kind of because there's like four or five faces. If I can see it's landing, it affects my timing. You know what I'm talking about. Because if, if you can't, it is, you don't know where it's landing. You've got no idea as to where to put it. And um, at some stage, it started to work. And um, thank God for it because, I mean, you know as well as I do, a lot of the middle tier um, comedians have just fallen. Yeah. Literally, they just don't do comedy anymore. They got their daytime jobs that they had five, six years ago. So it's only left the really top acts in the city to continue to do comedy I was very lucky to be involved in that particular group um, and it's it's kept my balls paid and well semi paid at least anyways <laughs> and um, now I'm starting to do a lot more one man stuff again which is great I, I don't I don't do ensemble stuff anymore um, and I don't think I will be for a while yeah um, Dave and myself just went on a, a little east coast that's right tour a couple of weeks ago and um, that was also quite a eye-opening thing, you know, you, you get to see South African audiences again for the first time since covid hit. and um, there are places like Hunklip and in Betty's Bay. Uh, Hunklip Hotel. Yeah, uh, Hunklip Hotel, which was fantastic. We had 80 people in that small room. We had and there was a 100 people there. And then we went to PE, we sold four tickets, bro. Yes. Um, it seems as if PE just has this depressive cloud over it, bro. And um, b has always been a little bit of a weird one, but uh, it feels like there's there's i think that old city should be put on suicide watch of yours <laughs> it is. if you're in p e listening to this you're not um, <laughs> now they're lovely people and you know do you find, of...
0: do you find that getting back on stage now after this pandemic or we're still not in this
1: pandemic that it it is a bit like starting again oh definitely it's we I've been very lucky in that the, 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 the almost 20 years I've been involved in, I've reinvented my particular thing a couple of times, between your Master Comedy Club and Cape Town Comedy Club and my own career, and which was always there. Um, I just had a flashback to your very first, I think it was your first
0: one-man show with the boxing
1: gloves. Yes, punch punchlines. Line, yeah. Punchlines. Yes, yeah, a boxing-themed show.
0: Is that poster up in your house anyway? It's in the Baxter. Backsta- I see it all the time
1: when I'm backstage. And I think it, you should go and remove it. I think I should. Well, relieve it of its space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: you've, you've, you've lived with a German for 20 years. In fact, I think that's what your new show is called. Well, like that. yeah. This is it's it? the, last, the last one or the man one. The last yeah. one man. Living yeah. with the German. Living with the German. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk a bit about your, your some of your lockdown lessons, but how was lockdown
1: with a German? Well, it was, um, it was challenging and fun at the same time. we got to spend a lot more time together. We, we complained that we didn't get to spend a lot of time And
0: together. is it true what the relationship expert um, Esther Perel says about spending a lot of time together, that repetitive cleaning is the antidote to desire? <laughs> and she mentions this in a book which I recommend that you read um, about sex in long-term relationships. Have you heard of the book? No, I haven't. Actually. It's called Mating in Captivity.
1: Yeah, bro. Panda comes to mind, and how (laughs) unsuccessful that particular species has been under the microscope. Well, it depends. If
0: you feed her bamboo, you never know what might happen, but Germans aren't big on bamboo, (laughs) Um, they prefer (laughs) saka. And then also, you, you also looked into your genealogy, I think, and discovered some German, or you knew about the German connection, or no, is there a German there connection?
1: there was no German, connection. No German it was, connection. It was that BBC show Were you on that show? Yes, I was. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And that was, and you know, as a comedian... Did they test your DNA, or how did it work? Let me tell you the story. Um, I was like, shit, man, this is how it's like great press when you get on TV, do some stuff, sell some corporates, do the thing, right? And then I was so unprepared for what came out of that, bro um there was a lot of stuff that came through firstly during that process i found that that captain was pregnant with jack so while i was trying to find out more about this family tree, i was extending a branch on the other side i didn't know about you know so it was a weird irony a really weird irony to all of that and then also my granddad for example my dad's daddy died when my dad was eight years old so very early on and then um it was always said in the family circles that he had, um, he had died from being over in you know, appendectomy. Mm. He had his appendix removed. And the official cause of death at the archives was he had um, chronic TB and heart disease. And I was like, that's bullshit. My grandmother was an exceptionally pedantic woman. She would have known if he had mm. TB and I didn't buy that at all. And, um, well, it made sense at the time that someone was responsible and was not going to be held responsible. And the cause of death was a completely different thing to what the family had suspected Mm. for years. And um, I questioned that, Lank, and it came as a bit of a shock to me. And I keep thinking about how my my dad's life would have been completely different had his dad not died when he was eight years old because he had owned quite a bit of property in Cape Town at the time. And this was in the 50s. And my grandmother had all of this property Removed. Take, removed from a over a period of 10 years, little bits here and there. And eventually she was left destitute. Was that, to look after that three boys? was of group areas or um, yes, combined, group areas, with? <coughs> combined with? Combined with, 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 with this thing and social structure at the time and um, being a woman and owning property. It, 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 in other words, my dad's life would have been immensely mm. different had he not gone through that particular thing. Mm. And then I also found out that I had an English branch of my family Campbell's I didn't know about and Schoenrad which is Dutch and um my grand great great grandfather Johannes Cornelius Kunrod, had married a colored woman and was disowned he was disowned yeah. by his he family. was disowned by his family and um they still a very successful family living in the other end of Cape Town really yeah true story jewelers not called Scoobnard? It's they called
0: Scoobnard? they yeah. called Scoobnard, yeah. And did you have any contact with them? whatsoever.
1: The no, no, no. I don't have any need to either, you know. It's just interesting facts. And um, they had... I mean, I don't know anything about them. Um, no contact whatsoever. And um, no intention either. Uh, so don't worry, Pete. Don't worry. I'm not looking for you. Um. <laughs> this is a bit of a theme, I think, on this um, podcast. Well, it's certainly
0: becoming a bit of a theme. I was talking to one of our guests was Dan and Oliver, who thinks he might have a grandfather in Rondebosch, knows where the house is, but feels nervous about going there. So yeah. I offered to be the front man. Yeah. Um, and have you... have you, have you f- For the job. Because I, because I have started to take on this job <coughs> on behalf of one or two other families. Because I been uh, quite obsessed with genealogy for a long time. So I've discovered, for example, that we have an Afrikaans branch of the family because um, Solomon Rabinovitz from Steinkopf, which wasn't a white area back then, um, he married Johanna Magdalena Lena van Skalkweg van der Marwa, van As, <laughs> for <us>, Re. springbok. <laughs> and uh, so a few weeks ago, I met his grand, his grandson. So this guy, this guy's grandfather and my grandfather were first cousins living together in Steinkopf, And this guy doesn't speak a word of English. He's from Boccev's like genuine Afrikaans. Genuine. in a restaurant I came inside and I saw you and I thought, that's not him because he must be a woman. <laughs>
1: we're not really Jewish, but we give yeah. each other <laughs> <laughs> socks. So this, this thing. Then I found out that this Johannes Cornelius Gunnard, um, 1899, was fighting in the Anglo Boer War, and my other great great grandfather, um, John Campbell, was also fighting on, opposite, on sides? opposite sides. Wow! They both died there. How crazy is that? How crazy is that, bro? How crazy is that? And this is all archived stuff. This is the genuine deal. Yes. He came from. From the island of St Helena, he came here as a, as a tailor. He was producing the is police Campbell uniform. or Campbell? Campbell. He was producing um, police uniforms at the time. This is all documented stuff. I mean, I would never have guessed this in a million years, but it's all archived and there it was. Also, then there's another ex- extension of the family that's in Heart Bay, not Heart Bay, sorry, um, Cork Bay. A family of fishermen. It's my mom's dad's family. And we went uh, to the old church over there where we pulled out the marriage records and all kinds of stuff. So did lot you of meet us, the fishermen? Yes, I did. I was on the pier with the fishermen. These are great cousins of mine that I've never... So you approached the fishermen, but you thought, fuck the jewelers. Fuck <laughs> 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 the jewellers. <laughs> yeah, clearly I've yeah. got, got no business acumen <laughs> there whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. you know, right? But no, these oaks were, um, they were a lot more approachable. I think. Well, they're fishermen. They're, they're salt of the earth. Exactly, literally. Yeah. They welcomed you. Indeed. In, they said, do you want a fish head full? We've got a fish head soup. Yes, check Between the irony that. about all of this is I get seasick in the shower. <laughs> but there's fishermen in me somewhere over here. Friend. That so, is great. Um, from Cork Bay. Yeah, from Cork Bay. Um, and, you know, to, to, to have gone through this process and touch base and find out what this genealogy was all about and where its current place is and where it came from and the, the, the journey it went on. and. Um, Man, I was humbled by that whole experience. I didn't think I was gonna get that much out of it. I thought, eh, hey, it's like a little bit of press on TV, like a cover some bases. But I got a hell of a lot more than I than I bargained for, bro. Well, and I think that also this is the
0: this is almost the story of Cape Town, okay. and 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 the story for thousands, maybe hundreds and thousands of people who don't know anything about. Their origins and it's this melting pot and is the most extraordinary. I mean, I discovered recently I have Muslim family who from the District Six who thought they were completely Muslim. It turns out,
1: surprise! <laughs> That's a big surprise. That one. You yeah. know,
0: at one point there were six thousand Jews living in District Six. And um, my dad mentioned
1: this all the time. He, he, he was one of those families that were dispossessed by this Group Areas Act. And he reckoned there was a there was a big Jewish community in in district six. He remembered it clearly. And um, he said, "What was great about it was these people were from so their, their, their backgrounds were so diverse: Muslim, yeah. Jewish, um, and just Saint Helena was a big thing as well. Yeah. Um, and and all of these people were just." Living in that space with tons of respect for my they loved each other. Their neighbours were the most important people, and they loved each other to bits. There was a, a sense of community that he said he could never ever try to find words for. And when that community was lost, not only the geography and the buildings and the architecture and the culture, oh. but it was the sum of all of those things. And my, my dad never spoke about it. Eh? Huh. I'm going no I'm not going now. was early on. Um, Would you think you are? Part of the show was taking my dad back to District Six where his house was. Wow. And that must have been emotional. It was emotional. And um I've never seen my dad more awkward in my life. Yeah. He wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. It's we'd ask him, so why my dad was one of the funniest oaks I've ever met. Is that where the the, the, the comedy gene? I think so, definitely. He had a great sense of humour, but a little offside, you know. Then um, I'd ask him, so how did it feel to be removed from the space? He said, yeah, we moved from one side of the road to the other. So I said, oh, and how did you feel about it? He says, well, and I had an extra bedroom. It wasn't too <laughs> I want to know how Tracy Class's
0: mother ended up being <laughs> your, your dad. dad I <laughs> I've got so, two impressions of either of my parents. Uh, uh, you know, me, right? me neither, so i make up this
1: fictitious one somewhere. <laughs> no, I
0: don't know, we were just we here.
1: Yeah. Did you, were you? Were you a Jewish <laughs> shop owner dad? <laughs> Why were you? Ach, but you never spoke about it, never did. But um, well, it was so much pain to... that a lot of people just yeah. suppressed. Man, probably. I was about, I was... We were one of the last families to move out of there because the road I lived in was a road called Brew Street. It was right next to the old Holy Cross Wall, which is right in the periphery. When you said you lived there, were you born there? Yeah, bro, I was... 1970 or... or um, were you born? I was born in 73. And um, we left there when I was in standard 2, which was, I uh, must have been about 8, 8, 9. We were, like I said, we were one of the last families to leave because it was right on the periphery of Ormond State. So you actually have a memory of... Oh, very clearly, very clear memory. At the time, did you know you were being forced to leave? Or I remember big trucks showing up and we had to leave. And we were packing stuff and my parents didn't say a word. Uh, What was the feeling for you at the time? Confusion more than anything else. I was confused. I didn't know, but I knew something was wrong. Yeah. And we went to a really cuck place. Um, The first stop we had outside of District 6 was a place called Belhar in those flats over there. And I remember us sleeping under the bed because there were gunshots being fired at the time and my dad went, I've had enough of this shit. And we ended up moving to Mutuals plane soon after that which ironically enough was quite a liquor place to stay at the time. I had lots of friends, every household all down the way, all down our road, all had someone my age. Yeah, And it was a big job. We'd be on our PMXs and roller skates and I didn't think of it as a cut place at all. And as you know, things progressed and time went on and became popular and things changed. But back then it was, I mean, I know a lot of really cool people that came out of Mitchell's Plain, they still are. You know, you know what struck me
0: as you were describing, you know, what um,
1: District 6 was, was like in terms of
0: that yeah. melting pot of cultures and, you know, just people being people yeah. and, and loving the diversity of that. This, um, this New York Times article that I mentioned from 2001, the headline is, only joking,
1: but healing South Africa too. That was on the front page of the New was York that Times. It a front page. I had a picture on the front page, bro. It was unbelievable. For oh, just starting out in comedy. Is that down. framed? Have you framed that? Th- that, I still got to get a copy of that, bro. We need
0: to get that. Because that's what, you know, and if you look back at 20 years of comedy, that is what you have been at the forefront of creating. This is what the comedy club did. This is what, you know, it's, it's sometimes. We don't look back and go, oh, well, I don't know what I've, I mean, uh, I didn't, this this, and that. But we forget, like, where we
1: were up until that point. True. You know, it's also, I'd love to be able to take whatever has happened over the last 20 years and give it some kind of context. Because the truth is, I was just trying to have some fun with it. Hang out with my friends, do some yeah. lekker stuff. And when you look back at it in, in any form of continuity, you realize that we... We changed a game, a significant one, where you speak truth to power. I remember over the years we'd take on serious subject material about politics and human beings and presented to Desmond Tutu in the front row there, or Nelson Mandela. And the truth is, you don't ever see a human being as an icon. It's something that a reputation does. Mm. But as a human being, I mean, you've experienced it as well. But there were times when I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking to very, very powerful people who just saw me as another human being. And we were just shooting the breeze, having a lack of time. And when you look back at that within, in retrospect, you realize that there's, there were significant moments in your career when you potentially changed the game a little bit. Like starting the comedy club and being on the front page of the New York Times. And, and it's a very impressive thing to look back at. But there was never an intention of doing it at the time. You were just having fun, man. You were trying to, were just trying to play.
0: We had a lot of fun and we also had a lot of not fun. And one of the not fun... Well, one of the first... I think it was the first corporate I did was was with you. It was uh, in Caledon, actually, at the casino. Yeah. and And I remember dying hard. <laughs> in fact, I remember... That yeah. gig with Mel Miller at the Manhattan's or or Mannenberg's or whatever yes. it was called. It was the yeah. first time I heard the, the, Mel Miller. Mel Miller gave me the Mel Miller speech.
1: Yes. About don't let it, don't let the good ones. What was it? Don't let the good one go to your head and a bad one go to your heart.
0: Yeah, which is you try you try to do that. It's it's uh, challenging. But do you have a memory of some of the worst ones? Like some of the worst ones. Man,
1: I can tell you straight up. Yeah, right, I About. Ten years ago, mining in Darbar, brew corporate gig. Yeah, um, cocktail hour. No, no, was no, it no. at the cocktail hour? Brew. I, at the cocktail full hour would have been no, no. Th- th- the this full was, No, this was the um, the evening kind the of sundowner dinner. garden. Right, sundowner before the big gala event. Yes. The following. Were they year.
0: at standing? Were they at cocktail Ooh. tables or were they seated? Let me
1: explain it to you. Yes, okay? paint the picture. Colleen Claimont. The, 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 the golf estate out there. What's it called? Uh, Arabella. Allopala. So I'm I'm driving to this gig and I'm going, okay. That's a
0: long right way then. to drive, but it's further to drive after
1: you've died. No, no, bro. I had to sleep then have breakfast for those people the following morning. And you yeah. thought that through as well. You bro. thought, is it
0: worth seeing these people? Bro. No,
1: actually breakfast. on the bright side, let me tell you what happened. And I didn't, they didn't realize I was the comedian. That's how bad it was. <laughs>
0: What did they think?
1: So, I get there and they're showing me this gig, right? And I'm like, whose cuck idea is this? Because they had three separate groups of people, but like a kilometer apart. Right? Yes. It was themed. There was like a... I, was there a swimming pool in the middle? But I was on the bridge, on the swimming pool. Oh, there we go. In the middle of all of this, <laughs> an event organizer's dream. Ah, this is a great idea. Just Tracy Clauses again. <laughs> this, this is a great idea. What we're gonna do? Is put the comedian on the bridge, lit up. Yeah. Right? And then there's a big jaw on that side with 150 people. There's a big jaw two yep. kilometers apart. Now you know that big lo- yep, y- yep. yard lawny thing that's got- that With the big fake lawns, rocks and the
0: fake waterfall.
1: The whole yep. shebang, bro, the yeah. waterfall's running next to me. You can just hear the waterfall in the microphone, not the bra. Yeah. There's another, okay, it's all themed. The one is like, we've got like a um, Cape wine-root theme thing. And then we've got a a Shebeen theme on the other side and it's all decorated oh, yes. beautifully and everyone, bro, I did. A half an hour on my own on that bridge no one realized I was there you were basically at sea I was at sea I couldn't breathe really, they had a spotlight on from the building over there two kilometers <laughs> away they had a, I was like eventually I went listen I'm gonna just stop this torture okay and drown myself so how about I go and I'll just meet you at the bar for a whiskey I'll tell you a joke there because this is going really cock I walked off stage there wasn't one clap there wasn't a... Brew, knucks. They didn't know I was there. They did actually clap, but you couldn't hear them from the other side of the family. Brew. And then, of course, they pointed out that none of these people are from South Africa. Most of them don't speak English. Yes. And I'm like, how much was that again? <laughs> You're offering for this gig? <laughs> and then I went, yeah, I got to pay the bond this month. Off you go, Brew.
0: And then there were others. <clears throat> Wait a second. So, so, because we like to talk about this on this show where you've just died hard. Yes. And you are far from home. You're you're an hour and a half from home. And it crosses your mind, okay, there's there's the bar, there's the tab at the bar, there's the room, which is very nice, the Arabella. Uh, and do I then face these people at breakfast the next day or do I get in my car and that's often the thing with comedians is you know how bad the gig was if you then decide to get into your car <laughs> and a lot of time people don't want to drive home they want to get as far away from Boo. there's some people who've been interviewed on this podcast who've, who've died in Durban and driven their cars to Pretoria Just
1: immediately th- after the game, <laughs> Just to get away. Yeah. Bro, you know, you can't run away from the embarrassment. You try to, right? You try to drive away from I think this is where <laughs> the idea for going nowhere slowly <laughs> I, came I, I from. I think so, it's too. dying hot. Uh, bro. I went, this the, I got a new uh, a rule a good, years, a good couple of years ago. I've made a rule with myself. I don't do weddings anymore. Yes. Because you still have to have dinner with them after you've cocked it up, right? And it's worse <laughs> if they're your friends. Oh prove if it's people you know, right? Because Joe Peter wouldn't talk uh, to me for two years. Dude. Also, comedy's not a good place I'm joking, Joe. It was <laughs> about a year and a half. Comedy's not a good place for a wedding. Because you're going to no. take the piss. That's your job. Yeah. You know? And weddings are all flowery and oh, it's stuck together forever in the future. And oh, I'm going to take the piss out of that. Oh. You know I remember looking uh, across
0: it. It was Russell Brand's parents-in-law. And I said, I quoted, there's a quote about love is love is like a bed of roses. Yeah. Uh, you'll get pricked. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that the case? And, the, and these two people just stared back at me. <laughs> And then someone whispered
1: they were divorced 35 years ago. Oh, shit. And then you just Sorry, let so me no just wash wings. my foot down so there, no, man. You decide no more weddings and then
0: you go, <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more. And then
1: what happened? Man, and then there were other embarrassing moments, dude. And I mean, you are gonna, you guys are going to just not believe what I'm saying right now, but it was the truth. It was I was the, the embarrassed one. We had... Koki Falcon and myself were booked to open for Paulie Shaw, And Paulie Shaw. Fell in his ass, bro. Didn't do well at all. You opened for him, you did 10, 15 minutes. Both Koki and myself, we were supposed to warm up the crowd. Yeah, See, so warm up the crowd, he comes on, he dies. We, Koki and myself, killed it. And right. then he came on him and And then the event coordinator, were well, you still at the gate? Sam Hendrickson. Sam Hendrickson came to you and said... Um, no, 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 not a word was said. Not a word was no, said. No, not a word not, was can said. Can you come back? Can you? Not a, Not a no? word was said. We all know what happened, though. I mean, the audience saw what happened. Yes. Um, but you know, also uh, we forget sometimes when a, a, an act shows up in South Africa. A lot of the time, it's because it just hasn't been popular in the states for a long time. You know. And um, there were there are exceptions to that, of course. Um, we I also opened for Russell Peters, um, and he was a superstar. Yeah. And that was lekker. It was great.
0: I opened for a religious Jewish comedian a couple of years ago. I remember that. I remember. Uh, in Seapoint. Yeah. Uh, it was a poorly Shaw sure moment. Okay. And on my way home, the rabbi phoned me and said, can you come back to close the show? It's going badly. And I said, "That I can't do that to the guy.
1: There's a respect there. And he um. said,
0: name your price. <laughs>
1: it must have been going very really badly <laughs> you know when the organizer goes name your price that's true it's gone it's up right <laughs> there's no saving it now oh brew. and you know it's it's first it's great to be called back it is nice it but is. i wasn't
0: gonna do that no no, no because there's can't.
1: a there's a mutual respect there between yep. acts you, you you don't do shit like that you know uh, but i can i can empathize with the organizers going brew, do anything just anything. call nick call him <laughs>
0: Um, We haven't spoken about many things I'd like to speak about, but maybe for another time, uh, living with the German was one of them. Yes. Um, Living with the German's parents in Germany, going to Germany, all things German.
1: Man, bro, I've been blessed in that. They're great people, Gatlin's folks are just the warmest. And I believe,
0: contrary to popular opinion, they have a sense of humour. No, a
1: great sense of humour. Bro, my biggest gig I've ever done was at a castle in Mannheim, Germany. A friend of mine's a superstar, like, R&B guy. And I was at a concert there with him, just backstage. How do you remember this? And he turns me, I got the video, I'm going to show you the video, bro. And he turns me, do you want to go up and do 10? (laughs) And of course, I'm like, yeah. Is this before his concert? No, during his concert. During his concert? 15,000 people, bro. What? Packed. That is packed and pumping. He goes, you want to do 10? Go give me that mic <laughs> so he goes out there he introduces me and I do the first 15 minutes of my living with the German material oh bro. my god and I nail it bro. they loving it they because sm- it's like it's very very taking the piss but in the most beautiful it way it's like here's an example I tune in what is it with the German you, you can't get upset in public because it's clearly there's a history with getting upset <laughs> and we all know what happens when you get upset yeah. so you gotta like Downtone your Upset vibe. Have you checked? What they do is they breathe louder. They just got like a... (laughs) My bro, oaks are starting to point at each other, (laughs) bro. And then I went to... I I did the whole thing about them going to the shop and this German oak was upset next to me and he was like... (laughs) It's like a callback later on, bro. It was such a lacquer set. I absolutely loved doing that. And you know, small gags. Me. I went, so I'm captains I'm, I'm from a small town called Heidelberg. It's a lot like Stellenbosch. And uh, it's, it's like Stellenbosch, beautiful, picturesque. And I'm there with a the tour guide, and I was going, goes, oh, This is the new bridge, and it's the stuff, and the castle, and, it's, and I'm taking pictures of a brother. And he's like, oh, Why are you taking these pictures of this man Yeah, It's a beautiful surrounding. I said, Yeah, the surroundings, and the castle, and the bridge, and that's for Facebook. I smoke that. But the picture of a white bride digging a hole. <laughs> That's <is> my personal <laughs> collection. Ever. It is, it is such a striking
0: thing. I remember going to Canada for the first time and white people. What
1: are they? You, you, I wasn't prepared for that. There's a there's a lily white oh, digging a hole. I'm like, I'm taking pictures of this guy, and can send it to my friends in Mitchell's plane, they won't believe me. But warm uh, people, the Germans, I love them. Catherine's parents are fantastic. I am um, I was very lucky. And, and, yeah, German people, um, I think, surely there's uh, room to do more in Germany for you. Bro, tons. A very good friend of mine is a comedian there, and um, we, did, we did a co-production there called uh, the Berlin-South uh, African Comedy Exchange, and we both did a 45-minute set. And it went so well that I will definitely go and do that again. This is great news. You've, been, uh, you've inspired me, uh, my good man. I've, I'm just about to start a podcast of my own. Oh, really? It's, it's um, actually a lot of fun. Clearly. And um, I've been wanting to do it for a while and never got around to doing it. This is one of the fantastic advantages of not owning a comedy club anymore. That's right. I can take on You're new things do and do all, all kinds, kinds of things. crap.
0: Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Just uh, First of all, just having you in my house for the first time. That's Thanks actually the main reason I do this to have cheers man my friends and uh, fellow comedians come over and just
1: talk and play table tennis and play t- fuck table tennis we got, we've got to, I, I see a challenge coming on here bro.
0: um kurt schoonrad thank you for everything you've given to south african comedy and just being the amazing human being that you are
1: Bruce thank you so much for having me thanks for having me on your show i really appreciate the invitation cheers bro
0: great and if you need me to accompany you to the schoonrad jewelers in seapoint i'm available <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm going to try and stick out with a ski mask and <laughs> take the edge right off my bro. <laughs> Let's get some diamonds. Those are your diamonds. Okay. That's like, right. Bruh, hand him over guy.
0: I want my jeans back bro. Actually, <laughs> my I mean, gems. Even jeans. better. I think we should get some Germans to accompany.
1: <laughs> to accompany. Yeah, I was like, hey, don't worry. We are all here with him. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> This is 12 (laughs) carot, not 18. Yeah, hold on. No, this is the gold. The other one. (laughs) Ah, bro. Cut! Well,
0: I I really enjoyed listening back to that episode and I had a great time with Kurt. We're still scratching around for that footage of him performing in front of 15,000 German heavy breathers. Hopefully we'll find it and put it up on... Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I say that, but the chances of that are quite slim. Because normally I just get to Instagram and then I run on of Steam for the other ones. But I really should put them all there. If any of you want to write in and help me with that, um, feel free. Feel free. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt Skunrad. I love you next week on the podcast my very good friend Angel Campy yes really Angel